0: Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. Hello and welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Welcome to another um, solo episode. I hope you've been enjoying the last few. I hope you've been enjoying Pride Month um, and all the amazing queer content we've been putting out this month. It's been so fun and so rewarding and so fulfilling for myself to have that freedom and that um, like celebration. It's been really great. Um, I love June. (laughs) I love June. Um, Actually, I kind of hate June. I love June. There's like a lot of fun stuff in June. And then there's also like, it's very hot where I am at. Um, It was 98 degrees yesterday. And it hasn't gotten to the heat of summer quite yet. We're still as I'm recording this, it comes out a little later, but we're still technically in spring. So I'm like, July is going to be even more intense, <laughs> but otherwise I love July or I love June. I love summer. Um, yeah. So I wanted to talk today about intuitive eating and calorie counting. Um, yeah, I have posted some things about that on Instagram. If you don't follow me, what are you waiting for? It's at empowered.spirituality on Instagram and TikTok. I'm not as active on TikTok mainly because I don't know how to use it and I feel scared of it. <laughs> um, Everyone I coach, if they've been on TikTok, they talk about like how much time they spend on TikTok. And I think I spend enough time on Instagram, so I just can't. I'm like very weary about TikTok, (laughs) but I am on there. I try and post things on there as well, even if I forget. Sometimes I just post like five things in one day because I've just forgotten to like post things that I post on Instagram there. But anyways, um, yeah, I want to start with calorie counting. So... um, a lot of us have been taught that calorie counting is like the gold standard of health, the gold standard of nutrition, and especially the gold standard of weight loss. So if you know me by now, you know that my focus in health coaching is almost never really about weight loss. Um, And that's not because I don't believe that weight loss can be a goal. I think it can be a fine goal. I do believe it in some cases, can be a healthy goal, but it's not always. I just don't think it's as necessary as we often think it is. It's not really a space I want to delve into. I would much rather focus on intuitive eating, which we'll be talking about today, um, eating for the cycles, and just. But above all that, eating to nourish your body and your mind and your spirit, right? And if you do need to lose weight, like if your body does need to release or shed some weight. I believe that when you're eating in a way that makes you feel good and that's in alignment with what nourishes you, if the weight's supposed to come off, it will. Um, and there are obviously situations where that might not be true. Um, but that's, that's my view of it. So, um, just know that in this episode, I'm not going to be focusing on weight loss, although I will make a couple counts or points about weight loss. Um, and how counting calories isn't always the most effective way to lose weight either. And I only say that because so many people think that counting calories is the gold standard of weight loss. And so I'm going to have a few points that will uh, say, no, that's not true. (laughs) And so I'm going to be talking about why counting calories is often not helpful. And then I'm also going to be giving you a little bit more information about intuitive eating. So Kristen Ciccolini, She was on in April. Yes, in April of this year. Um, Oh, I love that episode so much. We kind of touched on intuitive eating, but we didn't spend a whole lot of time on that. Um, So if you do want the like really basic background, maybe go listen to that one. Um, this one is going to be still kind of like basic background. Um, but Kristen gave us a little bit more of the foundations of that. If you want to check that out and her podcast is so cool. It's called the lunar body. Um, I think you would really enjoy it cause it is really, really good. And I recommend it to literally anyone who will listen to me, <laughs> which is you guys now. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, yeah. So let's dive in. I'm going to, start with counting calories. So why should we shift away from counting calories? So actually the post I made, I knew I was going to do an episode about it. Um, but it was inspired by a conversation I had with my partner. And he was saying that, um, like he, we were, (laughs) we were talking about Chipotle and he was saying like, Oh, well to have the healthiest Chipotle bowl, you should do steak instead of chicken because steak is less calories than chicken and I'm not saying steak is bad, but like I view chicken as like a more lean meat to choose sometimes. And I said, well, like calories don't often, like that doesn't mean that the steak is healthier than the chicken. There's a lot of things that could go into it. And also if you're a vegetarian, <laughs> neither of those options would be good for you, you know? Um, so just like calories don't necessarily equal like health. Um, and he said, yeah, I get what you're saying, but like how do calories not how are they not important or how are they not a big part of health? like because my thing is like I think we should ditch calorie counting altogether and he was saying like, but why? <laughs> kind of why doesn't it matter? And I was kind of trying to explain my points, but they weren't super like well researched or like well um clear or <laughs> well clear that's not you know what I mean? they weren't like distinct I guess um so I was doing a little bit of research and so that little like, debate fueled, um, like some content ideas and some teaching ideas. And I did more research and I was like really, really interested and really surprised by some of the things that I found out. (sighs) And, but before I did this research, um, I actually still stand by this because he was like, well, how do calories not count? How are they not important? And to say that would be maybe kind of confusing or misleading, but I kind of say it as if you have a car Everything about the car is important, right? The tires, the steering wheel, the windows, slash having a space to see out of, the gas pedal, gas in the car, um, whatever else, the seats, like that, that all makes the car. But if you were to say the car is the steering wheel, that would be leaving out so much. Like if you were to say, the steering wheel is part of the car I could say yes (laughs) but if you were to say the only thing that matters about a car is the steering wheel I would say no (laughs) I'm no expert disclaimer on cars but I think I know enough to say that you need other stuff too to make the car a car and that's kind of how I view calories yes they can be important information like it can be helpful to know the caloric density of food to know um how much energy that food can provide you. Like if it's lettuce, I don't know the count, but I know the count of lettuce is pretty low. And so if you're looking for something when you're really, really hungry, like lettuce isn't going to give you that energy that perhaps you are looking for. Um, cause it has like less caloric density. It's like largely water. Right. Um, so like it does it can give us really good information and it can be really helpful for us to learn. And we can incorporate the information that we get from calories. And the way that we're taught to view calories is that that's, like I said, the gold standard, that that's the full car. (laughs) Um, Yes, I'm still sticking with that. (laughs) Um, And like, that's kind of the thing that we should count first, right? Like, and a lot of people do that with, restriction too. And I think that's a big difference because note what I said just a couple minutes ago. If you're looking for something that gives you more energy, you would want to choose something that would have more energy. So if calories are just energy, um, or one of, you know, we can view calories as energies, energy, um, like we might want to have something with a higher caloric density, right? Um, but like, That's how we can add nourishment, not how we can subtract and like kind of view that from a scarcity mentality. So whenever I do holistic health presentations or like health coaching presentations, I always touch on this. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast or not, but I view holistic health or intuitive eating or whatever you want to call it, the kind of health that I I'm in the business of as an abundant view of health. So we're viewing health as abundant. Health is not a goal that we're trying to reach. Um, Health can happen at any size. Health can happen in many ways. Health is not just physical health when I look at it this way. It's emotional, mental, cognitive, spiritual health, relationship health, right? There's so many aspects to becoming a healthy quote-unquote person, and you also don't become healthy. There's no threshold of unhealthy to unhealthy, right? Um, But a lot of the framework that we use to look at calorie counting is in a restrictive manner, which would be in a scarcity view of health right? There's only one way to get healthy with this point of view. Health is a threshold. There is a threshold between unhealthy to healthy. There is a clear goal in mind. Um, it's not about the journey. It's about the goal of becoming healthy. And that view of health is often determined by the scale, right? I'm going to be healthy when I'm X pounds, um, or even when I stop having symptoms, right? Instead of viewing the whole person, the whole lifestyle as part of health. Um, And we often use calories as, you know, I can eat no more than this amount, which is often probably too little. Um, And if I eat more than that, I have to burn it off through exercise. So I have to now count my food calories Go to this limit that I'm not quite sure about, and then if I go over that limit, I have to try and determine how many calories I've burned through exercise, right? So I I wonder if you can see that that's a bit more punitive um, and a bit more restrictive and like has that scarcity mentality. So my goal really is to shift all of our conversations about any kind of health into the form of abundance, Right we have enough time there's enough different ways um there's enough opportunities for us to become or go on the journey of of health right and so i'm going to dive into one of my first points which i kind of set up which is that you don't really know how many calories you need so right if you put your current weight your current body like type into an app um, it's, and how much you want to lose, or if you want to maintain your weight, whatever, it's going to spit out a number for you that you should be eating. Um, and often this is very, very low. Um, like when I would do this, cause I did this too, right? Um, and I just want to say, actually, before we keep going, I'm not being judgmental here. Um, I think some people can be resistant to this information because, what they can hear is me saying, Hey, guess what? (laughs) The way that you and maybe like your trainer and your family or whatever, you've all been doing it wrong. (laughs) And that's absolutely not what I'm trying to say. Right. And like, to that point, like if you really feel like this style does work for you and you, you know, like you feel nourished and fulfilled and well-rounded that's fine. Right. I'm not trying to tell you that there's a right or wrong way. I'm I'm in the abundance business. <laughs> uh, you know, all, there are so many different ways to be quote unquote right. And there is no such thing as right and wrong in this, in this area. And really a lot of the times in general. Um, so yeah, there, I, I really don't want this to feel like I'm judging you or criticizing you or criticizing people, you know, anything like that. So just to clarify there. Um, but yeah, so the number that it gave me was always very, very low. And actually I had a friend, um, she was trying to lose weight, um, and she was eating very few calories and she was burning a lot of calories as well. And there's like that gold standard, right? That I think that's called calorie deficiency that's like kind of the gold standard for weight loss. And sometimes that may work, but that didn't work for her. And actually she worked with someone who said, Hey, I think you need to up your calories. In fact, and when she upped her calories, she started seeing the results that she wanted. Um, and that's also because if we don't have enough calories, our body goes into starvation mode, right? It goes into survival mode. It doesn't, it feels like, oh shit, we don't know where our food's coming from, do we? So we need to really hold on to this food that we're getting. Where there's not enough food coming in, I'm scared. So I'm going to really hold on to the food that I'm getting. Um, So we do want to make sure we're eating enough just for that point of view, if that is your goal. Um, But also like you deserve to nourish your body, right? And I also want to say that there's so much privilege in this. I'm talking With the assumption that you are choosing to restrict your calories, um, not that you are restricting your calories because you don't have another choice, right? So I just want to be really clear that there is so much privilege in this conversation. um, And if you don't have access to a consistent source of food or calories, this also isn't to shame you either. So I recognize that my assumption here uh, is also like steeped in privilege as well. And that is the assumption that I'm going off of, but I understand that's absolutely not true for all people or even maybe most people in the world. Um, but yeah, you, you really don't know how many calories you need. Every body is different, um, and, which means everybody has unique needs, right? So an app really can't tell you how many calories you need. Um, and also, like, just to speak about weight loss, maybe you want to go listen to Health at Every Size. That's an episode I did, I don't know, two, uh, a month to two months ago, um, where I talked about the BMI as well. And there's some resources in that episode show notes if you want to learn more about the BMI. But the BMI is, for some reason, um, the gold standard for weight and what's a normal, I'm doing air quotes right now, a normal weight range and an overweight rate, weight lane weight range and so on. But the BMI is extremely flawed. It was never meant to even be like a medical tool. Um, there's no scientific backing. Um, yeah. So if that's how we're viewing overweight and normal, um, and that's inherently flawed and incorrect, um, you know, And if that like weight range is fueling what would be like the calorie range that we need to be at a normal weight, um, like that also may be very incorrect too. So just keep that in mind as well. Um, So not only is every body different, but our bodies are different from our bodies yesterday, right? So if you have a menstrual cycle, this is especially true for you. So we have four different seasons or cycles of the menstrual phase if you have um if you are someone who menstruates but are not on the pill or another form of hormonal contraception um <clears throat> you have four different phases in about a month and each week you're different but really each day you're different because even within that phase your hormones are constantly shifting so someone who menstruates has like a 28 or like a twenty-one to thirty-five day cycle, like hormonal cycle. But even um um someone who doesn't cycle in that way has a twenty-four hour cycle, right? So that also means that every day, every hour, every part of the day, your body is different and has just di- has different needs. Me- <laughs> my goodness, I can't talk and has different needs. Um, so eating with this one level of calories is not appropriate because you're not really like there is that, there's no baseline. You're different every day. And then excluding menstrual cycle, thinking about how much we've exercised, how much we've been moving, the stress that we're under, our how we're feeling emotionally and mentally, that's going to impact how your body digests food, your body's digestion in general, right? I would way rather you, um, work on your hormones and your digestion rather than working on like counting calories every single day. I think that would have a much more profound impact on your health. Um, The weather really matters as well. And then your body type in the weather really matters as well too, right? Um, Something I'm studying is Ayurveda, and, and that shows us that there are different types of bodies who thrive in different types of seasons. It also matters like what types of foods that you're eating, not the calories in those foods, right? So our body's needs fluctuate so much, so, so much. And this is so interesting. Not all the calories we eat are being absorbed, right? So if Let's say you're on a diet of 1,500 calories and your app that you're tracking your food on or your notebook says that you're at 1,500 calories. That actually might not be true, right? Um, And part of that is because we do not absorb all the calories that we eat. In fact, a 2008 study found that up to 20% of the calories we eat are not absorbed into our bodies. Can you imagine. (laughs) I just, I had no idea until I did that research. Um, and my partner said, well, what foods do we not absorb? And I said, oh no, that's, that's not the way that I understood that statistic. That just means that 20%, like, I don't think that means like certain foods you don't absorb certain foods you do. That's also true, right? Certain foods are easier for your body to absorb than others. Um, yeah, I think it depends on how fast you're eating your food, the kinds of foods that you're eating, when you're eating. Um, I think there's a lot of different things that go into that 20%. And it could be less than that as well, but not all calories count. Calories do not equal nourishment. So when we count calories, it is common to emit foods higher in calories that may actually be really beneficial simply so that you're staying in the low calorie range. So an example here would be like avocados. Um, why can I only think of avocados here? Um, perhaps like meats, if you're a meat eater, um, stuff like that, that are like, they are higher in calories, but those are really like balancing, can be really balancing. I'm allergic to avocados. So like, do I feel balanced after eating an avocado? No, but like, <laughs> um, but that has like a lot of really awesome fats um, that can be really nourishing for some people. And so when we're just looking at calories, we're not really looking at nourishment. something I love. I mean, I think she has like, you know, everyone has flaws when they're presenting health information. Um, but Kelly Levesque, she has the Fab Four <clears throat> And I think in general, this is just a really cool rule of thumb that I've always remembered. And so she just says that at every meal, you should try and get these four things because these four act, um, they like will satiate you, they'll nourish you. um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that's fat, greens, protein, and fiber. And so if you can have these four things at every meal, which like so much privilege in that, and it's just not always possible. But if you could have those four things at most of your meals, that meal would probably be pretty well-rounded and um, like easily digested, whatever. Um, And so, yeah, if we're looking at calories and not nourishment, we're going to miss out on a lot of foods. And similarly, the quality counts, not the quantity, The number of calories you are taking in doesn't really matter so much as the quality of those calories. When we eat less calories, we tend to eat less fat, right? Because fat is calorie dense, but can be healthy and helpful. And if you are wanting to lose weight, higher fat can help you lose weight, right? And low calorie diets do not always make people lose weight, which is a primary reason folks go on them, right? So, There's also that like starvation mode piece or like survival piece that your body thinks, oh, no, I'm not getting enough food, so I'm really going to hold on to it. Um, One of the examples from one of the websites, which I actually can't remember at this point, but they use the example of like, yeah, you could eat one of those 100-calorie like special K bars, um, and that would be 100 calories, and maybe that's in your like calorie budget, but like maybe a healthier snack would be, I mean, healthier being relative, right? But like maybe like a more nourishing snack could have been like almonds and fruits and cheeses, which would be more than 100 calories, but that would help you feel satiated full and also doesn't have like those chemicals and those like kind of artificial foods as well, which artificial foods are not necessarily bad, but Whatever, I'm not gonna go down that road. <laughs> and this is something that I was blown away about, which is that calorie counts are not reliable, right? So, actually, when I told my partner this, he said, Oh, I'm not surprised because when I go into my fitness pal and I go to enter a banana, there's like so many different options and those are all different calories, um, right? So, like, <laughs> you're my fitness pal, doesn't know the calorie count of the tomato that you're eating. Um, Something that's really interesting that another one of the websites said was imagine two tomatoes. One is like, it's in season, maybe. Um, It's in a part of the region of the world where like tomatoes are plentiful. So it's like juicy. It's really red. There's like, you can tell there's just like a lot of nutrients in that. Or there's a, another tomato, maybe in not the season that tomatoes are typically found in. Um, it's more pink. It's like a little bit more wrinkled and it's smaller. Like which one of, like those are going to have different calorie counts, right? And so your My Fitness Pal doesn't know all those informations, But all those information, all that information. Um, <clears throat> but this is really fascinating. Food labeling laws allow a 20% margin of error on the nutrition facts panel. So you don't actually know how many calories you're eating. Um, So let's say you're eating that 100 calorie um, special K bar or whatever. You could be eating a 120 calorie bar. You could be eating an 80 calorie bar, right? You just don't know. So to, to just go off calories is even more unreliable, right? And one of, you know, One of the most important in my book is counting calories can lead to unhealthy mental habits, right? Counting calories can lead us to be restrictive. It absolutely leads us to thinking of foods as good versus bad as a threshold, like I was saying, and can often lead to habits such as disordered eating and exercise, skipping meals, anxiety, guilt, or shame, obsession with body image, and so much more. And I've often found this even in myself right? Um, in the past, when I've entered into the calorie counting space with the intention of being really mindful of my mental health, that intention's there and it starts to slip away, with me at least. Um, and I'm someone who has struggled with disordered eating in the past. Um, so perhaps I'm predisposed to that, but I also think it's um, almost inevitable that we start to think in a restrictive, scarcity-minded way. It's hard not to Um and that's also not, I'm mean, going to get into intuitive eating, that's not really how our bodies or our ancestors really like viewed food, right? And this really analytical, um, <clears throat> I'm going to say conservative, I guess that's the right word, conservative way. Um, yeah, and that we could do, I Maybe mean, that's another great episode to talk more about those things, but I think it can be really triggering for those of us who have had previous experience with those patterns and can also incorporate and introduce us to new um, unhealthy ways of thinking. And lastly, about calorie counting, you can lose touch with your hunger cues. So this is what I'm going to go into next. But I want you to hear this. A lot of people, and that's why I made that little comment about Kelly Levesque. I think she's awesome, but she also talks about like hacks to turn off our hunger hormones, right? And, but we have hunger cues for a reason. I just really want you to hear that our hunger is our friend. We don't have to think about hacks of getting rid of our hunger. We are allowed to eat when we're hungry again, so much privilege in that statement. Um, but when you have access to food, and that's that's available to you, um, it's okay to eat when we're hungry. It's okay to eat when we're hungry, right? When we focus on counting calories, we are overriding our body's natural wisdom and cues of hunger, fullness, and satisfaction. All right, so with that, let's dive into intuitive eating as I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs having an education and health coaching has been transformational Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes and by doing so, You'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option, or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today. intuitive eating i mean this could be more i'm going to spend like what 30 to 20 minutes on this so there's way more that we can talk about uh or there's like so much more to intuitive eating than just this 20 to 30 minutes um kristen when she was on the podcast recommended the book intuitive eating i think that's a really really great resource too it's a whole book about it right it's not just 20 minutes about it but we'll just do kind of an intro intuitive eating so when I heard of intuitive eating, I was like, cool, like that's obviously right up my alley <laughs> as like a health slash spirituality-ish coach. Um, like intuition plus eating, I'm all for it, obviously. Um, but it is like a little bit confusing to just hear that. And I feel like the word intuitive eating or the words intuitive eating are often tossed around and we don't really know a whole lot about them, right? Um Especially too, if we are someone who has struggled with, um, disordered eating or like just kind of having that trauma around eating and food, we are not always quite sure that we can trust our intuition or like our body's natural cues. Um, this could also be true for like, for other things as well. I mean, thinking of myself as a woman, gosh, I feel like I've been absolutely trained to know that I can't trust my body. That's not true with women, too. Non-binary people face this so much, probably more than I uh, can even really comprehend. And also men face this, too. My goodness. Men are so told that, um, I mean, they're the real victims in all this. Okay, I'm being a little sarcastic. <laughs> Um, but but seriously, like men really do suffer from the patriarchy. Oh, Liz Plank. I love her. She is awesome. I think her Instagram handle is like something fabulous feminista or something. I absolutely love her. That might also be totally wrong. Liz Plank. Just look up Liz Plank. Um, she wrote a book for the love of men. That was absolutely wonderful. And she does advocate for men being harmed by the patriarchy. And when men are harmed by the patriarchy, so is everyone else. And so men are also taught that they can't trust their bodies too. That's something we all are taught, right? So we all have so much baggage around not being able to trust our body. And this is, you know, just great, a great reason to have a coach or therapist or someone who can hold that space for you. Um, so that you can start to clear that those, 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 traumas or those those things that our bodies hold on to right the body keeps the score it can be so helpful to clear out those negative those untrue like messages that still live in our bodies even when we're able to cognitively clear them out um and like reestablish that relationship with our bodies and with ourselves i think that's probably one of the main things i do in coaching is I help people reestablish that connection with themselves, but often that connection to their body and their spirit, their body especially, right? The mind-body-spirit connection, we're typically pretty okay at the mind stuff. (laughs) I think a lot of us really live in the mind and we're really great at overthinking and analyzing, but not so great at just having that relationship with the body. So I do want to say that like intuitive eating, I don't want to say it's hard. And discourage you, um, but it can be challenging. It can not be. It can, it like takes a little bit of work, I guess, or like effort. There's effort there that goes into having that relationship with yourself and your body. So I just want to say that if you're hearing this and you're like, "There's no way in hell I can do this," you can. It just it like it's gonna take practice, right? You're rewiring so much of the things, so many of the things that you've learned to be true your whole life. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. Let's dive in more. Let's talk about, um, hunger, right? That's where we left off with calorie counting. So there's four main types of hunger. There's biological, there's taste, there's practical, and there's emotional hunger. I want to say none of these are better or worse than the other. Okay. So biological hunger, that's the physical sensation of needing food for your body, right? So, If you want to connect to a sense of this, you can imagine a time where you were really hungry. Maybe you felt like rumblings in your tummy. Maybe you felt like weak physically. You felt tired. Perhaps you had a headache or felt irritable. Maybe, did I say dizziness? If not, you were dizzy. (laughs) Uh, Nausea, like hearing physical sounds. So what's really interesting, too, is a lot of people have been so disconnected from their hunger that they don't even know they're hungry. And that often happens to me as well. Um, I am like pretty plugged into it, but there are so many times where I'll suddenly be really irritable at like 2 p.m. Um, I don't know why I have a headache. I don't know why. And then I look into it and I'm like, oh, yeah, I haven't eaten and it's 2 p.m. or 3 p.m. And I realize, oh, I'm hungry. (laughs) My mood is because I'm hungry. I have biological hunger right now that I'm just not registering because I'm not practiced at it. So that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said it takes work or it takes effort. It takes practice. That's a better word. It's a practice. You've heard yoga is a practice, maybe meditation is a practice. But this is also definitely a practice as well. Um, now let's go into taste hunger. This is a craving for a certain type of food. Cravings are all valid and can be honored. In fact, many times our bodies crave what we need. So um, I have a really neat chart somewhere. <laughs> I think it's a handout that I give new clients. I don't think I've ever... Maybe I've posted it on Instagram. not sure. That'd be a good idea though. Um um, but sometimes like when we're craving magnesium, we might crave chocolate. And so if you either don't have access to chocolate or you're trying to, for some reason, limit your chocolate intake, <laughs> um, you might choose to eat like something else that has magnesium in it. So I have a little chart like that. Um, it's also not bad to eat chocolate, right? Um, so yeah, cravings often tell us what we need, what we're what our bodies are craving, like what nourishment that we need, right? Um, but then there's also like the example of I saw this in a in a website too, which I don't remember. I got I did a lot of research for this. <laughs> but um one of their examples, it was a blog and they said, um it's like going into a movie theater, smelling popcorn and getting a craving for that popcorn. So there's also that kind of taste hunger. It's like kind of unlikely that your body is like, I really need the nourishment from movie theater popcorn right now. (laughs) Like you're probably craving it because you can smell it or because there's that association there. Um, But that's also okay too, right? Like oftentimes we ignore our taste hungers or our craving hungers. Um, And then what do we do? We like have a day where we are just absolutely going ham, (laughs) (laughs) and having like all the popcorn. Right. Um, so instead of doing that, why, why could we not just have a little bit of that popcorn? Right. And if you were counting your calories, you might not allow yourself to have that popcorn. And actually I should have researched this before I said it, (laughs) but I was listening to an episode of I Way with Jamila Jamil. Um, and she was saying that she had learned that, um, when we start to crave something, like when we smell the popcorn and we're thinking about eating it, our body's already preparing to digest it. So it's already like releasing what was needed to digest it. So you might as well just eat it. <laughs> right. Um, so I that was really interesting. I'll have to figure out uh, more about that. There's practical hunger. So this is like you're working a nine to five, eight to five seven to seven job. Um, and it's your lunch hour and you're not hungry. Um, but if you don't eat now, you're not going to eat for another four, seven, eight hours, right? So you know that you probably should eat, but you're not necessarily hungry or something that uh, resonates a bit more with me is I don't like to eat breakfast in the morning, um, which is actually not like a great habit, but I like, especially if I'm leaving to go to work, um, I'm anxious (laughs) before I go anywhere or do anything. It's so much fun. Um, but that means I like really don't have an appetite for my breakfast, but then around 10 AM, I really feel the effects of not eating breakfast. So there is like not forcing yourself to eat, but like kind of working through the discomfort or like the aversion to eating perhaps. Um, and this is like, you can choose to do two things with this. You can choose to say, okay, well, I'm not hungry, so I'm going to wait till I am. Um, Even if that means I'm going to be really hungry later, that's a choice you can make. Or you can decide to like kind of push through that resistance to eating knowing that you'll be happy you did later. I think both are fine. And emotional hunger. We tend to view emotional hunger and emotional eating as like the worst of the worst, right? There's so much shame in emotional hunger. Um, and like, yes, I think if we're always relying on emotional eating as our main coping mechanism, you know, is that something that we want to address and work with and perhaps shift away from? Yeah, probably. Um, but like when we, when we do emotional eat, it's not the worst thing in the world, right? What's worse than emotional eating is the shame that we often give ourselves after emotional eating, right? So, I like really want to like release that shame. And as I'm talking about emotional hunger, I don't want that like weight on it, you know? Because I think I've actually worked with a lot of people who go, ah, yeah, I'm an emotional eater. And there's like so much shame wrapped up in that. And I think they expect me to like agree with them. Like, oh yeah, it's pretty bad, right? But it's not bad. It's like, is it good? No. Is it bad? No. Um, Might it not be super helpful at times? Sure. Right? Um, Might we want to shift more towards like eating, like coping with our emotions in other ways? Yeah, maybe. Right? Um, But there's also nothing wrong with emotional hunger or comfort foods. Intuitive eating teaches that there are no good or bad foods, which I really love about it. Right? And Kristen, when she was on the podcast, she gave a really awesome example. She said, When you give yourself food freedom, yeah you're probably gonna swing to the pendulum. You've been on this side of the pendulum of really restricting yourself and saying, I can never have chocolate. I can never have popcorn at the movie theaters. Um, I can never eat when I'm sad. I can never like eat ice cream when I'm going through a breakup. And then like, yeah, you're gonna swing to the other side most likely. You're gonna eat a shit ton of popcorn. You're gonna eat popcorn every day. (laughs) You're gonna eat so much chocolate. Uh, You're gonna have a donut every morning, right? And then after you like live in that period of food freedom, you're probably going to swing to the middle where you have a little bit of both. And also this isn't to say like saying that no food is good or bad. I'm not necessarily saying like, you know, from now here on out, I only want you to eat whatever you're craving. Like always, only and like only and forever eat a donut for every meal. Like, do I recommend that? No. <laughs> um. So we do sometimes have to have a little bit of like discipline. Discipline. I don't like that word like parental wisdom for ourselves. Like we do have to have a little bit of self mothering or self fathering or self parenting. Um, which is to say like, you know what, I really want, I've been eating a donut every single morning for breakfast and I'm noticing that makes me really anxious because I'm having a lot of sugar on an empty stomach. Um, and I don't really like that feeling of anxiety, but I still am craving that donut because I'm used to it. (laughs) And, um, now the little, like little things in my gut are really craving that sugar first thing in the morning, but like, it's not making me feel good. You do have to have a little bit of that, like parental wisdom. I don't like the word discipline to like, kind of like work with yourself a little bit there and like set a little bit of boundaries for yourself and like that inner child in you. Sure. Like, so I don't mean that like, it, this doesn't mean that all foods are good. It more means like all foods are neutral and all foods give us information. Like, let's say that donut does make you feel anxious. Oh, for me, here, I'll give you an example for me. It's coffee. Coffee makes me anxious. There's like really no avoiding it there's like tools that I can use that make it a little less harmful to me. But like as a rule, 99% of the time, if I have coffee of any sort, I'm going to be anxious later, whatever. Right. That's just the way it is. Um, and also sometimes I really want coffee. Like I have an emotional hunger for coffee. Maybe I have like a taste hunger craving for coffee or like a situational craving for coffee and I still will drink it. Right. And then, But it's also just like having that full information. That's like asking yourself for consent, which was the first episode of season two um, of this podcast by me. (laughs) Um, Asking myself for consent, like, hey, hey, body, hey, self, when you drink this coffee, you know, you're going to be anxious, but you're also going to get to enjoy it. So, like, what do you want? Like, are you cool with being anxious? And if myself decides, yeah, I'm down for being, like, I'm fine, I can handle it, I'll be okay like sure, drink that coffee. Just like having an awareness and the full picture and consent to have the thing that you're wanting to have. So let's move on to the hunger scale. Um, And this is also on my Instagram as well. Um, So it's a scale from one to 10. 10 is like the least hungry. One is the most hungry. So let's start from one. One is painfully hungry hungry. There's cramping, there's pain, there's extreme discomfort, there's like extreme fatigue. Um, You like, you're feeling like you need to eat right away. Two is extremely hungry. So you're not painfully hungry, but you're very, very hungry. Three is you're hungry. You're starting to lack energy. You're starting to slow down. You're starting to feel those beginnings of perhaps biological hunger that we talked about earlier. Number four is you're open to eating, you feel kind of empty, you're not super hungry, but like, you could eat, right? I feel like people say that all the time. Are you hungry? Mm, I could eat. (laughs) That's what that is. Five is neutral. You're not really full. You're not hungry. You're just chilling. You're not even really thinking about it. Six is you're mildly full, but you're not quite satisfied yet, right? Like you've had enough and you, not enough, but like, you have enough to be fine, right? I gave an example of this (laughs) at, um, of travel. When I said like I ate beef jerky for dinner, I was absolutely not satisfied, but I was mildly full. Like I was going to be okay for the plane ride. (laughs) Seven is comfortably full. That's like maybe the sweet spot you've had enough. You're like satiated. You're happy. Eight is you're slightly too full. You've eaten just a little bit more than what is comfortable and you're just like, you're feeling it. Nine is very full stuffed. This is me after um, most holiday (laughs) dinners. And 10 is painfully full sick. So you're having like cramping. Your belly feels like really uncomfortable, really painful. Maybe even like having feelings of sickness as well. So ideally, you want to start eating when you're at a hunger level of about three or four, which is again, three is hungry, you need energy, you're starting to go downhill, and four is I could eat. And then you might want to stop when you're comfortably full or slightly too full, a seven or an eight. And you can trust your hunger, right? You can trust your hunger. Your hunger guides you. Um. Oh, this is actually didn't know I was going to do this but i'm going to go on a little tangent about intermittent fasting <laughs> um so <sighs> intermittent fasting's fine so here's when i think intermittent fasting is a good idea there are lots of people my dad is one of these people he wakes up and he's not hungry in the morning he's just not hungry um, like me, I'm anxious and not hungry. Like I'm only not hungry cause I'm anxious, <laughs> but typically I'm hungry when I wake up, if I don't have anything to do. Um, and I will often, I've done intermittent fasting before. Um, I will push past my hunger until whatever, 11 or noon, and then I'll eat lunch. Right. Or I would, eat, I would do that. I don't do that anymore. Um, So my dad, he's just authentically not hungry. He's not having any hunger signs. He's at a, what? He's like neutral feeling in the morning. There's no hunger cues for him whatsoever. So he's someone, if he naturally doesn't want to eat when he first wakes up, or I know people do intermittent fasting and whatever schedule, sometimes they don't eat in the evening. So if you're like authentically not hungry for whatever time that you're trying to fast through, that's fine. Just like, that's what your body is trying to do. It, you know, your body has its reasons. And I know some people who menstruate, they feel really comfortable um, fasting during like ovulation time, like pre-ovulation time after the period, um, that feels like their body is naturally kind of wanting to do that fast. Um, But I find most people are hungry. (laughs) And I hear a lot of things like, oh, well, you can drink black coffee, that's fine. If you drink it without cream or milk or whatever, that would be fine for intermittent fasting. And that actually helps you be less hungry. Just drink more water. That'll help you be less hungry. Right. So I hear a lot of like how to push through your hunger cues. That's when I think an intermittent fasting is really not helpful. And I'll say, I don't think it's healthy either. Um, and there are maybe times like maybe like this isn't, you know, this podcast is not um, a replacement for a medical doctor. (laughs) So maybe there is a reason why you have to do this, but often there's not, right? Um, I don't think it's a good idea, right? And if you're also pushing yourself, like if you're pushing yourself when you're at a like let's say you're at a four, you're open to eating, I could eat, you just want to wait one more hour, that's fine, right? It's not a big deal. But if you're in the one to three range and you're pushing yourself through that hunger cue to wait and to wait till you have lunch, um, that's also like just not super helpful or healthy, right? Um, and when you're at those levels of hunger and you're pushing through and you're pushing through, you're also releasing like stress hormones. You're releasing That signal to your body that there is not enough food, so it needs to really hold on to the food that you eat, right? So, if you're doing this for weight loss, it may not be effective. And also, one thing that's really important to note I work with primarily women and non binary people who cycle. And so, here's the thing the research about intermittent fasting is mixed, right? Or there will be successful studies, but maybe they haven't been replicated very much or they're with a really small sample size and a lot of the variables haven't been controlled. So actually, <laughs> like little side side note to this tangent. um, I would, maybe this is something I can do for another episode. I think maybe that would be really important. But I was, um, I studied psychology um, and I worked in research as well so i like am able to have that critical mind but i didn't have that before i had that training right and i remember my teacher who was so awesome and i actually got to work with him later um after that course um but he showed us a study that showed that the number of nicholas cage movies per year correlated with the number of drownings per year so could you look at those findings and say that the number of like Nicolas Cage movies cause people to drown? Sure. You could. Should you? No. (laughs) Right. And common sense is able to make us see Nicolas Cage isn't causing people to drown. I hope. (laughs) Um, Where he, and he showed us, there's a great John Oliver. I'm going to write that down to put in the show notes. There's a great John Oliver um, video where he looks at studies and like the way that they're, Um, like advertised in the media and what the study actually says. So there's a study that shows that um, the more tattoos you get, the gayer you could be, right? And so there was, this was like a real thing that went around that tattoos caused people to be gay. When in fact, like perhaps that study just showed that like Their sample of people like that were gay had tattoos, (laughs) right? Like, does that mean that tattoos make people gay? No, (laughs) you know, like, uh, yeah, like if we look at the way media portrays certain articles and studies, it's like not true and in integrity with the actual study that was done, right? And also, we need to look at the studies that are actually being done and what, like, how reliable those are, right? So, A study of intermittent fasting with a group of mixed genders that's only like 20 people that hasn't been replicated, and there's not a lot of controlled variables, and they find that that group of people did intermittent fasting for however long and they lost weight, that does not mean that intermittent fasting is the perfect weight loss thing, right? That's the first thing. I really want people to be critical with the information they're receiving and, like, think about the holistic view of the research that they're taking in cuz unless you're reading a detailed article which most people don't do cuz they're boring as heck and they're hard to read <laughs> which is like a huge downside right you're probably reading an article describing an article like a like more of a blog post describing an article or you're watching like the morning news <laughs> and they're dissecting an article that they haven't read and they don't know how to fully read right so a lot of people say intermittent fasting has been proven to have these effects and proven to be really good for you, but we need to look at the research. And so research, research has actually been pretty inconclusive. Some studies show that it's great. Some studies show that it's not that great. Another piece of information, <sighs> women are not required to be in research studies. In fact, oh my goodness, it was 19... 19- It was in the 1990s, but I don't know if it was 1990, I think it was 1993 um, or 97, but I think it was 93. Women were not required to be in research studies and they were only required to be in NIH funded research studies in 93, I believe it was. That's not that long ago. (laughs) Do you know how long people have been researching? Do you know how long the NIH has been available? And that's only The NIH is, I think, the only organization that requires women to be in research studies. So it's relatively recent that women are even being required to be included, but it's hardly ever that women are, or people who cycle. um, I mean, that's true too, like, right? We usually only see men and women in studies. Um, The people who are classified as women in these studies it's almost never shown if they're on birth control, they're never separated from hormonal contraceptives. They, I have never seen a study where a woman, like the woman group is separated between just women who are ovulating, just women who are in the luteal phase, right? There's so many things that need to be taken into account for women especially, but people of all all genders um, that are not taken into account in all of research I digress, especially for intermittent fasting. (laughs) Um, I think that would be a a neat podcast episode to do. Um, let me know if any of you have that interest. I'll link that video I'm talking about. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) So I went on this rant because you can trust your hunger and I'm not a fan at all of diets and like popularized diets that show you that you shouldn't trust your hunger and then in fact that you should really work against your hunger that's the only reason I went into all of that <laughs> okay there had to be one tangent and at least I waited until the end alrighty well <laughs> I hope that was helpful and informative to learn a little bit more about count calorie counting and intuitive eating especially on the hunger side. Um, I just, yeah, want to really reiterate that you can trust yourself, you can trust your body, you can trust your hunger, you can trust your cravings. Um, food doesn't necessarily have to be good or bad. It can just be neutral, right? I have talked about the middle way a couple times recently. And that was more about like situations. Like it's not bad that I got sick on vacation. That was That was the example I gave. And it's not good that I had this cool experience, right? It's all It's all just what it is. And that's the same with food. I'd like to apply that middle way to food as well. Um, So that would be, if I could have you take away anything from this episode, it's that you can trust your body. Mm, Okay. If you have any questions about this, I am here to answer those questions. Or if you feel like, you know, you had like a strong interest in something that I shared just now in this episode or in general, feel free to reach out and let me know and i i haven't said this in a little while but i would so appreciate if you could subscribe and even rate and review the podcast spotify actually added an option so you can rate the shows on spotify as well a lot of people say like i would rate your show but i'm not on apple i don't have an iphone well if you're listening on spotify you can rate it there too if you are listening on apple It would take a couple minutes to just leave a quick like this is cool and a five star rating (laughs) and it would be so incredibly helpful. That's the easiest way to support my work. And if you would like to support it a little bit more, make this sustainable for me to keep doing and for other people to enjoy and also just like connect with me more deeply and maybe like if you don't want to work with me, um, I have a Patreon with two tiers. The $5 a month tier um, will give you a weekly guided meditation and access to all the previous guided meditations ever done there's at least 20 to 30 at this point so you can go back and look through any of those meditations you want and then the 10 dollar level has those meditations it also has a weekly or sorry a monthly gathering um, with everyone else in the Patreon tier who shows up and a discord community server where you can chat and um, get resources and all that fun stuff. And of course you can work with me as well. If you want to work one-on-one and how to deepen that relationship with yourself, how to get into intuitive eating, how to change these perspectives, I would love to work with you and you can set up a commitment-free free call. That's about 45 minutes on my website using the show notes below. Um, And lastly, I've added a new option um, where it's a one-off session or a package of three where we do guided meditation, breath work, somatic experiencing. It's really fun. Um, You can check that out as well. And until next time, bye.